ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. And joining me now, uh, one of my favorite guests, we bring him on from time to time of New Orleans.football, Nick Underhill, Saints analyst and insider, joins us now. And uh, Nick, number of things to dig into, man. First off, how are things going? How's life? Uh, everything's good down here. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, from a saint standpoint, my first question to you is, is there anything that has surprised you thus far about the Saints' approach to the offseason? Yeah, I, I think the one big surprise, and I think it was smart of them to do it this way, but when we were talking about their cap situation and all the moves that they would have to make to get down to cap compliance by the start of the league year, I think we all included, you know, oh, they'll, they'll extend – Grand Chess or Lattimore, if not both, maybe get a deal done for Tron Armstead beforehand. And they let that stuff play out. And, and, you know, those guys still don't have their extensions. They tag Marcus Williams. So I think maybe they cut maybe one or two more guys than, than I expected. Um, but I think it was smart of them to do it this way because, you know, if, if you're going to Ramchek and Lattimore before the start of the league year, that's significant leverage on their part, and they can hold you over the barrel a little bit and say, hey, you know, you need this money. You, you got to give us, you know, everything we're asking for. And the Saints called their bluff, and, and, you know, they're still without those deals. And I think that just kind of levels out the playing field a little bit to where maybe you can negotiate on, you know, both parties coming to the table at an equal place of strength, whereas the Saints were extremely weak before. So that's been the biggest surprise to me. But, you know, otherwise, that. I think that they ended up hitting all those moves that, that, you know, it was like, well, here's 12 that they could do, and, and they hit all 12 instead of, you know, a lot of us were projecting maybe nine or ten of them. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely been the big surprise so far of, of the offseason. Some of the, the, the smaller deals you've been seeing the Saints do, uh, which isn't a surprise, right, The whether you want to call it the clear-it-rack, bargain deals, positions of need. Um, let's start with the one from yesterday. Your thoughts, you kind of – you kind of read into that one, Nick. Uh, T.J. Carey, I think on Wednesday you tweeted that you know, you'd know you see the Saints possibly taking a flyer on him, veteran cornerback. Uh, and then yesterday, you know, they signed him. He had a pretty good season in Indy last year. But I, I, don't, I don't know a ton about him other than what I've seen on the stat sheet. What do you make of this deal and, and his fit? Uh, well, it, it's, a, it's a visit possible signing on their eyes and probably a likely signing when they come out, that's usually how that goes. And they've been, you know, talking about him for, for a little bit. So he's been on their radar and I, I would expect that to probably be an official move sooner than later, as long as everything goes well on the visit. But, you know, he, he's, he's kind of like a, a, a nomad a little bit in his career. He's been a lot of places. He was in Indianapolis last year. I think it was probably one of the better seasons that he's had in his career. And, you know, they, they run a good defense. So they have a good system and, I think in New Orleans, it, it would be the same thing. But look, I mean, the thing I think they need to do is that, you know, as they go through here, they need to seek out these opportunities. And maybe they aren't the highest-end people that they're bringing in, but they do have a very strong core group of players. And I think in some of these spots where there's holes, you at least want to raise the floor a little bit so that you aren't going into the draft just completely panicked about how you're going to fill a, a spot on the roster. That's how you end up making mistakes. And, well, they had Nick Easton last year. I, I kind of feel like Cesar Ruiz was, you know, a little bit in, in that where they felt like they had to get their their starting guard and, you know, they made a move and, and, you know, just didn't quite work, at least not in year one. There's still plenty of time for that to turn around. But, you know, you, you don't want to be pressed into anything. And 
you know, they might not be able to, to get to that, that idealistic place where they aren't feeling the pressure because I think there are a handful of holes on the roster. So, but getting him in there, that would, that would raise the floor on cornerback. And if you strike out in round one and there's a run on guys and, and you don't end up being able to address it until the second, third, you know, later in the draft, you know, I think you're, you're, you're at least okay. You know, this is a team that was really good with, with Marshawn Lattimore and Ken Crowley at cornerback and Marshawn Lattimore and Eli Apple at cornerback. They can be good with Marshawn Lattimore and PJ Carey at cornerback, but they'd be better with someone else. But yeah, I mean, they, they got to plug these holes, especially at the, at the high value positions. It, it's very hard to get, you know, a good cornerback that, that can come in and start right away outside of the first round. And if you're set up that to where you have to do that, picking at 28, you, you might end up on a fool's mission really, really quickly. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420. Yeah, I think of all the releases that were, we'll call them cap casualties, right, that they that they had to do to get cap compliant, I think it, it feels like Janoris Jenkins was probably the one that they least wanted to do that right in if if it's a normal season where the cap doesn't go down uh, as much as it did uh, because of the pandemic and everything else. Jenkins, whether it be a restructure or whatever, probably isn't a Titan. He's probably still a Saint if, if the Saints could have had, say, um, anticipated what the cap likely would have been like without a pandemic. I, I do agree. I, I think that he probably was the one guy they didn't want to let go. Um, in a normal year, they probably wouldn't have. The one thing that is weird to me, though, is that they could have just did a basic restructure. And I'm not talking even like a, an aggressive Saints restructure. There's another year left on that contract. You just split out the base salary, spread it over two years. If they would have just did that, they could have lowered his, his kit this year to get it within. It was $7 million if they caught him. And if they restructured, it would have been like 5.5. It would have been a $1.5 million difference. They decided not to do that. And I don't know, like you said, in the normal year, they, they probably would have just left it as is, let them play it out, and, and it's fine. And they didn't want to create a situation next year where they were saddled down to him where he would be, I think, 32 at that point and pretty expensive on your cap. But if you felt like he was an absolutely irreplaceable player, it's just odd to me that they made that move. And I might be reading into this completely wrong, but it, it just doesn't feel like the type of thing you do where, you know, they're still expecting to compete. So I don't know if there's still another shoe to drop on all this, if there's a bigger plan at this position, if they intend to do something, if, if he was possibly, you know, a surprise on, on the chopping block regardless. I don't know, but I, I found that to be like maybe the weirdest thing that happened because, you know, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, well, why would they cut him? It's a, it's a million five, and they can figure it out next year. And this isn't a team that, that's ever been afraid of next year. So I don't know why they would start all of a sudden there. But, you know, I do think it was responsible. But it was just surprising that that was the, the pressure point where they decided, you know what, we're going to be responsible. We aren't going to do this with this guy. That might be, you know, if we let him go, it creates the biggest and hardest hole to fill. But they did that. So, you know, I'm curious to see what it is. I, I'd be surprised if it's just T.J. Carey, and that's the end of the, the grand plan. But – it's uh that that yeah going back to the very first question I, I think he could have been in there is, is the biggest surprise move too just because it, it was it was a little bit of a you know just with that hole it's a shock and, and it's going to be hard to fill so I mean that that is definitely probably the biggest thing that they need to do over the next four weeks through this you know rebuilding process of, of the roster in terms of players that were released not retired like Breeze or, or signed elsewhere like a Hendrickson that was a free agent. In terms of players that were released, would you put in terms of 
uh, I guess, biggest impact lost, right? Biggest hole now to fill. Jenkins, I think we'd agree, might be one on that list. Would you put Malcolm Brown, too? And, and, and I guess he wasn't technically released, right? He was traded. But um, had they not been able to trade him, they the reports were that they were looking to release him. So in terms of trying to replace impact, what he was able to do in the run game, do you think he's number two on that list, or would you give it to, to someone else in terms of the moves they had to make? If he's number two on that list, I mean, I, I think that maybe – just like the individual collection of players one by one evaluated just on their own outside of the, the grand picture. Like, I think that the situation, when you put it like that, it, it doesn't feel as, as bad. Like they haven't lost like a ton of super great players. Like I, I think Emmanuel Sanders is a hit, but yeah, I don't know. Like I, I know a lot of people, you know, kind of put that up there as like, a, Oh my God thing. Like I, I kind of feel like Sean Payton can probably scheme around, you know, the pass catchers and they can probably get another one, plug them in. And I think some of these other guys might even be able to, to untap a little bit more playing with a different quarterback. Like Traquan Smith, for instance, when Taysom was in there, like, you know, he got the ball more and it's because he could get down the field more and he didn't have to be as precise. And I think the biggest issue with Traquan Smith throughout his career is being precise, like being exact on his splits and breaking at the exact point. And with Breeze and the deteriorating arm strength, if everything wasn't perfect and he didn't see it perfect within that first 1.5, 1.8 seconds, like he wasn't throwing the ball there because he had to throw it so early. And someone else that can hold the ball a little bit longer, I don't think, you know, all these guys have to be so perfect. And, you know, they can be a little bit dirtier and they can find the ways to get open and plays can develop longer. So I think there's ways around that. So maybe it is Malcolm Brown, but – I don't feel like that's that's a super high value position either. Like I, I think they can find somebody that can reasonably fill in. Like they had Tyler Davidson there for a while, and they had a number one run defense back then. So I, it is a hit. He, he's he's a loss. It's a it's a spot they need to fill, but it's a fillable spot. But we're going to say that about all these positions outside of cornerback, and it's it's the cumulative effect that I think makes it more challenging because it's oh well they can get a tight end they did get a sure. tight end. But it's just like, oh, well, they need to get this. They need to get a linebacker. They need to get a cornerback. They need to get another offensive lineman. And none of these guys outside of cornerback have to be, you know, extremely high-end players. But it's a lot of people to come in. It's a lot of depth. And I think the hallmark for this team the last few years has been their quality depth. And players get hurt. And it's just always felt like, well, it doesn't matter who got hurt. They keep winning games. And, you know, that that's from Drew Brees on down. It, it was never an issue. I don't think that's going to be the case for the 2021 Saints. I think there's going to be a point where too much injury, if they reach it, that's a danger zone. And, and that's going to be a big difference from the last three, four years, uh, you know, where this team was, was a Super Bowl contender. So that that's going to be the biggest issue for them, I think. There you go. Cumulative Nick Underhill, our guest of NewOrleans.Football at Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter. Uh, many of you listening do subscribe to his content if you don't. Check it out, NewOrleans.Football. He brings stuff to the table you don't get anywhere else. That's what makes him great at his job, and that's what has that's what has given him uh, a big following among the Saints fan base. And, you know, I think to your point, Nick, you could argue, okay, what's the biggest impact in terms of players' reliefs after Jenkins, whether it's Sanders, whether it's Brown. With the rest of those guys, Cook, Josh Hill, what have you, it, it really comes down to more of um, – you know, a cumulative thing as opposed to the one exception of Janoris Jenkins. You mentioned tight end a few times. Uh, what, did, what did you make of the signing of uh, Nick Vanette? I know that you reported on that this week, just some tight end depth and, 
And and how big of a role do you see him having uh, compared to say an Adam Troutman? And and how much bigger of a step do you think Troutman will will take and will have to take in twenty twenty one? I think he's a, he's probably a decent Josh Hill um, replacement on offense. You know, I, I don't think he, he, he's the most athletic pass catcher. He doesn't have good hands. He doesn't drop a lot of passes. He blocks well. You know, it's a, it's a it's a solid depth signing um, after maybe the first two waves of, of free agency. But those are the kind of guys that, that they need to bring in, and, and I think he kind of rebolsters that. And you know, he's an inline tight end. I think he, the idea for Troutman is, is to be able to to play the flex position a little bit. So. That'll allow Troutman to move around a, a little bit more, but I do, you know, I do think that, that Troutman does need to take a big step. Like we kind of talk about him, like through these terms of, of being someone who's arrived, but he had less than 200 yards receiving last year. And yeah. In the moments, you know, his moments were were really good. His athleticism came through. Um, there's no doubt about his blocking. He's a very good blocker, but you know, as a pass catcher, I, I do think that there is still a ways for him to go to to realize everything, and you know, he might. But I do think that that spots a little bit of a gamble. So when you look at it, tight end, along with the Watson Dominion standards and wide receiver, you know, there, there is possibly a scenario where, you know, if Troutman isn't better than he was last year, like there's, there's a lack possibly. But, you know, I, I think he is going to be better. I think we've seen a lot of things that, that he did well. There's a lot of good traits there. I know that the team's extremely excited about him, um, you know, I had a source tell me that, that you know, that he, he was behind, you know, he was in mind when they're making the decision to, to let go of these other guys. So there, there is a lot of confidence in him, but he's going to have to deliver on that. I think he will, um, but there is a ways to go. Nick Underhill, our guest, ESPN 1420. Typically, Gus Cattengill joins us on Fridays. Gus is uh, coming back from a trip with his family. Nick, uh, kind enough to step in, talk some Saints with us. We'll talk some Pelicans with Ali Casella, the Bird Rights, in a little while. Uh, trade deadline yesterday. We'll get into that. Brad Topham, color analyst for Raging Cajun Baseball, will join us in the 8 o'clock hour to talk about the series with Coastal, and uh, we'll talk to some listeners, open phone lines after that. Getting back to the Saints, Nick, Jameis Winston, um, you know, between him and Taysom Hill, the team says this is an open quarterback competition. I I feel like Winston will be starting week one uh, next year. It's just my opinion. Who do you think starts week one next season for the Saints at quarterback? I mean, if it's not Jameis, I think that they have a problem at quarterback. Um, you know, I, I you know I do think they they can win probably a decent amount of games with, with Taysom. Um, you know, if, if the defense remains good, they were a good team the last few years without Breeze. So. You know, if everything's right, he they can win games with him. I don't think they'd win a lot of games because of him. Um, if Jameis is a quarterback, though, and you know, the upside is just so high with him, and the the idea that they could have possibly stolen another quarterback after stealing Breeze essentially from the league, you know, that that would just be an incredible story, and it would set this team up for the next ten, fifteen years. He, he's that young, you know. He was the number one pick for a reason. He can do everything. The decision-making is a significant problem, and it's impossible for us to gauge what that was or what it looked like. I know he threw 11 passes in spot duty last year. didn't look great. It was, you know, it was fine, but nothing memorable. But that's not a, that's not a fair situation to judge him through. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think that, 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 you know, the desire is for Jameis to be the guy to win that job. I think that, you know, people assume he will, but – 
he's got to go out there and prove it in, in camp, and they will have that battle. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if between now and, you know, the, the start of camps, if there wasn't another quarterback brought in. Like, if one of these teams drafts somebody and their incumbent starter all of a sudden becomes available, the Saints are a very attractive situation for, for anybody, and I don't think that they're that convicted to this situation that it has to be one of these two guys. Like, they could draft somebody as well. And I don't think Jameis' contract even reflects that. He's, he's paid like a backup quarterback. It's, it's a small deal. It's, it's, you know, if there's an opportunity, they're going to jump on it. And I think that's going to be the approach, you know, now and forever until there is that next Drew Brees. Until you have those blinders on, you have to look around. And, you know, Brees allows you to be monogamous. Like, if you don't have Brees, your eyes need to be wandering for every option until you have that guy. And, and I don't think that's their situation yet. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be shocked by anything. You know, if there's a, if there's an acquisition at some point, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Were you surprised at uh, how emotional Jameis was on his zoom conference definitely. call with the media this week? Yeah, definitely. I, I wasn't expecting that at all. Um, you know, he, he's been, this is such a dumb thing to say because you don't know anything about anybody um, really, but he, you know, in our interactions with him, he's been extremely likable. And, you know, I, I'll say that coming in, like the very first time last year when, before, you know, I'd ever spoken to him or anything, you, you have preconceived notions based off of everything you hear. And he's not somebody that I think people, you know, are, are naturally inclined to, I don't know how to put this. He, he needs to earn your benefit of doubt almost in a way, just because of all the stuff you heard, like you don't expect him to be a likable person and he is an extremely likable person. And I, you know, I think there is some genuineness to, to the way he, he says things. And I don't think you can fake the emotion he displayed. And, you know, I, I do think being a member of the saints, is something that means a lot to him. Breeze was probably somebody he looked up to throughout his, his life. Um, it seems like his head's in the right place that he's, he approached last year the right way that, you know, he, he had, he had kind of humbled himself to the situation. I found that interesting that he continually used the word serve, like as if, you know, I'm going to serve the saints, however they want me to. And it just, it just doesn't seem like he's, uh, you know, it's, it just seems like he's, he's incredibly humbled and, and going about things in, in the, the proper way. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how everything goes. If, if he did learn from Breeze and he did get everything out of last year that, that he said he did in, you know, he mentioned his eyes being able to see the field, the LASIK surgery. He said it, it, it was nice being able to see the field. Um, all that stuff, if his decision-making is improved, there is a possibility. And it's, it's exciting to think about the, the perfect version of Jameis. And that's probably how we're going to talk about him until we actually see him. But, you know, it's going to be in those imperfections that we find out what he really is and if he can be that guy for them. And, you know, that's, that's still a huge gamble, I think. The relationship between he and Michael Thomas, do you feel like it it needs to be strong or is just a a business relationship fine? I'm where I'm going with this, Nick is it might seem like a small thing. Jameis may not care, but you know when when Russell Wilson trade rumors heated up, uh, I guess you know three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Michael Thomas putting stuff on social media. Saints fans getting really excited, and, and, and it was likely never going to happen. The odds were, the odds were slim, right, um, real slim. Do you think Jameis cares about any of that stuff? Do you think he notices any of that, or is he just, you know, as kind of gregarious and, and humbled as, as he 
I don't, I'm not going to use the word let's on, but it comes across whenever he's talking to the media and, and opening up a little bit like he did this week. I think with Mike Thomas that, you know, if somebody's getting him the ball and he's getting his yards and they're winning, like I, I think everything's fine with them. Um, you know, as far as Jameis, I'm sure he notices all that. I think anybody will, will probably notice it. But look, if you're if you're Jameis, you got to be honest about your situation. I think Jameis is honest about his situation. He earned a million dollars last year, one point one. He's he's back here for five and a half with incentives. Like he he knows how he's viewed by everybody. And you know, if his teammates see Russell Wilson out there, like look, Russell Wilson's a, a thirty-five million dollar quarterback. Jameis is a five million dollar quarterback, and there's a reason for that. And he knows that he needs to change that narrative. So I think Jameis is probably approaching the situation like. You know, he, he's got to prove to everybody, including his teammates. And he said himself that, that he's excited to, to try to exceed expectations. Like, he, I think he knows exactly where he stands. And if, if you're him and you're taking offense to it, like, you, you probably looked at the situation the wrong way, like, all the way through. And there should be some, like, all right, I'm going to show you. But if you feel like Mike Thomas is doing you wrong by, by looking at Russell Wilson, you know, that's I, – I just I – don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think Jameis is, is honest about where he's at in, in his life and his career, and I think he knows that he needs to, to get back up. And if he does get up, he has the talent to be one of those top guys. I mean, I don't think that's really in doubt. Again, it's just – it's the decisions. It's, it's not – it's not getting picked off by linebackers underneath over and over, and it's, it's not trying to force the ball down the field. It's taking the check down. If he can do all those things, then, you know, Mike Thomas is going to be posting the pictures of him instead of Russell Wilson. Nick Underhill of New Orleans Football, our guest. It's the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up, ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. Nick, we are five weeks away, essentially, um, from the NFL draft. You know, uh, or four weeks and six days if you want to look at the first round. Uh, the Saints have some picks. I know fans were scared that the NFL would take a lot away. Then they didn't, and then they did. But it was the following year, and, and we don't need to get into all of that. But the Saints have some draft capital this season. And in, a, in an offseason like this one, and you wrote about this, and I, I was reading your article uh, that you posted yesterday on, uh, on, on NewOrleans.Football, you, you can't expect the, the 2017 draft. I mean, that was historically great by NFL standards, not just franchise standards. But I think in a season like this, where the Saints for so long have had a lot of depth and not the – uh, an overall cumulative loss of, of valuable players, as you've pointed out, whether it be the guys they released like a Janoris Jenkins or a trade like Malcolm Brown or a free agent gone like a more, you know, highly publicized Trey Hendrickson or not as publicized, but certainly a, a guy that, that made a difference in Justin Hardy. We could go down the line. You suddenly have openings on this roster that you typically haven't had in off seasons the last couple of years and you got a lot of draft capital. How many in, in a perfect, and, well, I shouldn't say in a perfect world, in a realistic world, how many of these draft picks that the Saints have this year can come in and start right away, good or bad, just based on, just based on need? I don't even know if I asked a question right, but I think, I think you see where I'm going with this, the importance of this draft and where the Saints absolutely have to hit. I think a cornerback could probably come in and, and, and start right away. A linebacker could probably come in and start right away. A pass rusher could probably come in and, I don't know, start, but be in, be in heavy rotation right away. Man, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of spots where, where I think guys could come in and, and get heavy snaps. And, yeah, 
I think this draft is, is very important. They got to, they got to be better. Look, Jeff Ireland has done a great job drafting. There's no question about it. He, he built this core. Um, he, he was out of this world in, in 2017. Great in 2016. Um, the 2018 draft, the Marcus Davenport one was, you know, it was what it was since then. I think they've been regular good drafting and saying somebody's a regular good drafter should not be viewed as a knock in any sense of, of any place in the world. Most teams would love to be good at drafting. And, but, you know, I think this year it needs to be that there's, there's some urgency, I think, for it to be a little bit better than good. Like, I, I think they, they need to, to have a, another great draft. Um, and, I, you know, I think that's, you could probably make that case every single year. But the last few years, maybe not. Like, the last few years, like, they're trading away a lot of picks, and it was, it was quality over quantity. And, you know, it's arguable how much that quality hit. But the team was so good that they didn't need a ton of draft picks, and they approached it like that, and that was the right approach for those teams. But they, they need one of those, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be 2017, but, you know, 2016 where you're getting some immediate contributors – maybe one, you know, really high end player. Like, I think that's the type of draft they need to have. And then it's, uh, you know, it's a tall task and they can still be a good team without it, but it's that depth. And, and if you do have that good draft, you get a couple good free agents. You're not that far off from where you were last year. And I know that's crazy to say because your, your hall of fame quarterback just retired, but your hall of fame quarterback was hurt most of the year. And he, he you know, it wasn't, it wasn't 2018 Drew Brees out there last year. He was he was solid sometimes and hurt other times. But you know, with with the the core and the depth, if the quarterback is competent, I think they can still be a playoff team. But there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to to bolster that around there and to kind of hedge that bet that you know maybe Jameis Winston isn't the perfect version of himself and he does make some mistakes and there are some injuries and the defense has to win you some games. But yeah, I mean you, you're you're definitely right that I think you know, the, the draft is going to be paramount to what they are at least immediately. And that's tough. I mean, that's, that's a tough situation for them to be in. And the last time they were there, it really did work out, but I don't think you can look at 2017 and expect that ever again. Nick Underhill, our guest, it, it's, you know, to expect that it reminds me of like, I remember talking to a listener on the radio, this was years ago and the 06 draft was a great draft, right? Saints fans talk about it a lot. It's referenced a lot. And some of that is just based on guys they hit in later rounds. One, I think, could, you know, possibly be a Hall of Famer in Jari Evans and you know, Marcus Colson and Zach Streif in round seven. And the next year they drafted Meacham in the first round. And, you know, outside of the 09 season, I wouldn't describe his career as first round worthy yeah. at all. Uh, you know, and his first two years were flat out. They were just bad. I mean, he essentially was redshirting in the NFL. That's not something you want to do. But I can remember <laughs> talking to callers and someone called in and, and they were like, it's all right if he didn't work out. They they signed Reeman McKnight, who was this undrafted guy at Notre Dame. He could do something. I'm like, why, why, do you, <laughs> why do you think he could do something? They're like, well, look at Marcus Colson. And it hit me like, you don't realize how rare that is, like how lucky they got, how... You know, not to say that the whole 2017 draft was luck. A lot of hard work was put into it. But this idea that it develops this bar that just simply can't be met to expect seventh rounders to be Marcus Colston or even, you know, a Zach Streif, I think is is foolish. But to expect the Saints and what they've done under Jeff Ireland to, to have a solid draft – I think that's the realistic expectation. And Nick Underhill, our guest right now, is going to be ramping up the draft coverage a lot here over the coming weeks at New Orleans.Football. you got to check it out. 
great stuff over there. And Nick, we appreciate you joining us on this Friday morning for uh, the Pro Nola segment, talking some Saints. My final question to you, you just referenced Drew Brees. Um, I think this is the probably maybe fourth biggest transition year in franchise history. I think 06 obviously is first. I think uh, the 2000 season, they had so many new players. I think the 87 season was a lot of transition happening. But this one's up there. I mean, it's it's probably the fourth biggest, and they still have a lot of players coming back, but you're replacing Drew Brees, and that in and of itself is just a big transition. You're going to have to replace a lot of guys we've already referenced here in this conversation. What in your mind is going to be the biggest challenge for the Saints in this semi-transition season of 2021? I think maybe the, the, the biggest thing for them, you know, it's, it's, this is such like a, not a great answer, but like if you see it visually and see the stuff that Breeze does every single day and just the way he goes about things. And it's just the same thing at every single moment. And, you know, he's picking up his helmet at like the same point and he's stretching until the same point at practice. And, He's coming out at the same point. And on Wednesday, he's walking through the door on the far side of the locker room at the same exact time every single Wednesday. And it's just that routine and that consistency and just seeing it. And it's just, you know, I think it just, like, as a reporter, just being around it, like, you start to, like, feel and, and time things off of his rhythms. And it's just his presence. And, and I think for, you know, if you're, if you're a teammate, you're feeling that a whole lot more. And you're seeing that example all the time. And, you know, it's just Breeze is there, and he's, he's lifting that level, and he's doing things this way. So you become that precise. And just that precision, I think, is it, something that kind of permeated throughout all aspects of everything they, they did within, you know, their offense and just the way guys prepared and the way they, they study and go to meetings and, and the consistency just is, is really the thing that made them so great. And I think taking that out, like, you know, earlier in this, like, I, you know, I kind of referenced, oh, well, they won this many games without him, so, you know, why not? But I think there's elements beyond that when you take him out that you have to replace beyond just the on-field. And if some of those things lax a little bit, what does that do to the overall team? Like, you know, I don't know how much of a concern that should be. Like, Sean Payton's still there. He's he's a pretty, you know, demanding and, and driving force, and he can provide that consistency. And they still have good veteran players. You know, I think guys like Tron Armstead probably – step up into some of that role even more than he already is. But, you know, taking that out of there and him just kind of being this guy that, you know, these players coming in now, they, they grew up watching him and he's a legend and you want to fall behind the legend and it's easier to fall behind the legend than it probably is, you know, somebody else. So I, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge is, is replacing like the intangible things behind the scenes that maybe you've been taken for granted for, for, you know, a number of years because it's just there, but now that it's gone, they're going to have to find ways to replace that and, you know, find different things to, to create that leadership. So I think, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for them. Great stuff from Nick Underhill. At Nick underscore Underhill on Twitter, uh, at Football as well, if you want to follow that account. It uh, links back to his website, neworleans.football, not neworleanssaints.football or neworleansfootball.com, neworleans.football. Just if you haven't checked it out, just do it and judge for yourself, but uh, I, I subscribe. Money well spent for me, someone in this business, and I know Saints fans enjoy it. All the perspective, the deep dives, the amount of time Nick puts into it, it's, uh, it's well worth your time, 
And I know a lot of our audience are big Saints fans in the process. Nick, before we let you run, man, anything else you want to plug or promote? Uh, I got nothing. You did it for me. Thank you. All right. Wait, man, it's easy. It's easy to do for sure because uh, it's good content. Always appreciate the time, man, and um, maybe we could chat again this summer and look back on the draft. I know you're going to be really busy, though, in the meantime as we lead up to the draft for the next five weeks. I'll be reading your stuff. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, great stuff from Nick Underhill. This is the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up, Suit Up, 3546 Ambassador Caffrey, Suit Up Menswear and Tux Rentals. They are the absolute best in men's clothing. You need to get something casual. You need to get something dress up. You need to rent something high-end. You need something altered. Alterations, they do it all. The only locally owned and operated place that does all four for men's clothing. It is the best in men's clothing locally, best suits, best clothes, best prices, best service, best selection, best specials, right? Right now, two suits for $300 on select suits. You go buy a sports coat from Suit Up, they're going to give you free dress slacks. On top of that, you got a wedding coming up. You know someone that's got a wedding. They're like, hmm, where should I get my rentals for tuxes? How about this? Here's a wedding package special. If there are five or more paid rentals for a wedding party, the groom, his tux, free. The ring bearer, half off. Groomsman, we're talking $40 off. Of the rentals, come on. That is a tremendous deal, not to mention you're going to be looking great for one of the biggest days of your life or one of the biggest days of your friend's life if you are in the wedding party, whatever it might be. Suit up, suit up. Plus, they got that Southern Marsh line, that clothing line, which is now all over the world, right? World famous. Born and bred, started right here in Louisiana. They got it. The Southern Marsh, that quality of clothes, that high-tech fabric they have on their shirts. I got mine at Suit Up. I recommend you do the same. Suit Up, Suit Up, proud sponsor of The Great Scott Show. All right, here's what we have. Typically, I visit with Gus Catyell, my friend, on Fridays. He was traveling this week. Nick Underhill tackled some Saints with us. Ali Cassell of The Bird Rights, managing editor, Pelicans blog for SB Nation. He's going to join us next to talk some Pels. We got Brad Topham coming up, Raging Cajun color analyst, to preview the Louisiana Coastal Carolina Baseball Series. We're going to talk some college hoops, March Madness after that a little bit as well. Some uh, chatter about spring football for UL and LSU. That's all coming your way right here on The Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere. It's ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app.